Good morning, everybody. Hold on, I got some wires that are going rogue here. Let me deal with this real quick. So if you, if you missed last week, um, y'all made it about me, and <laughs> it was really nice. Thank you. Carrie asked me this week if I felt appreciated, and I very much do. So thank you guys for all your kind words last week. Um, if you weren't here, it was they, we celebrated Pastor Appreciation uh, uh, Month, and, and everybody came down and said really, really nice things about me and about Bethany. So we appreciate that. Um, and then after that, uh, I, I had about a 40-minute worth of sermon and, I, and about 20 minutes to do it. And so I crammed it all in, and then uh, Sunday evening after uh, Carrie's Life Group met, Bethany came home and she's like, hey, they would really like you to like do the whole sermon and not try to, and so I, I asked the rest of the uh, life groups and as you requested, we're going to do the same one again today, uh, but we're going to do the whole thing instead of just the cliff notes. So uh, if some of it sounds familiar, uh, that's why. So today we're going to talk about the problem and the solution. And I shared with you guys last week that my hope um, is that um, there's, a, there's this issue that all of us struggle with and that's um, feeling like we're not good enough for God or trying to work to be good enough so that God will accept us. And I hope today, after this message from the Lord, that, that we can put a nail in that coffin, that we can let that old thinking die and we can live in the freedom that God has intended for us to live in. Um, to kind of bring us back to where we've, we've left off from, we just finished chapter 9 a couple of weeks ago, and it explains the difference between the old, the old covenant and the new covenant, and how the old covenant was limited in its effect and temporary. And the new covenant, which is now has no limit, and it has a permanent effect on our lives. In the first part of chapter 10, we're going to see the author today recapping uh, this case that Jesus that, that, that he's been making about Jesus being the perfect priest and the per- perfect sacrifice. Um, chapter 7 through 9 were devoted to, to helping the church understand all that God did. And so he's recapping all of this uh, in this chapter 10 to kind of bring our focus back so that he can then move on to, to what he's looking at. And one of the things I want to mention, I just learned this, um, I've learned it through this series, but it's, I always um, like to let Scripture interpret Scripture. And that's not a new idea from me. And we're going to see the author of Hebrews do that today. You're going to see him quote other Scriptures, and that's called Midrash. It's where you take Scripture from other parts of, the, of Scripture to explain the, what you're trying to say. And that was something that was used common, and we're going to see the author do that today. So um, let's jump in. We're going to read chapter 10, verses 1 through 10 together, and then we're going to kind of break that down. And again, I, I want our focus today to be on understanding the grace that God's given us, that we don't have to try to be something to be pleasing to him. And we're going to see that in our text. So let's read together, starting verse one. Since the law has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the reality itself of those things, it can never perfect the worshipers by the same sacrifices they continually offer year after year. Otherwise, they would have stopped being offered since the worshipers purified once and for all would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year after year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, as he was coming into the world, he said, you did not desire sacrifice and offering, but you prepared a body for me. You did not delight in whole burnt offerings and sin offerings. And then I said, see, it is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, God. And after he says above, you did not desire or delight in sacrifices and offerings, whole burnt offerings and sin offerings, which were offered according to the law. He then says, see, I have come to do your will. 
He takes away the first to establish the second. By this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. So the first point I want to make today is sin is a problem that we all have. And by we, I mean everybody, like everybody that's ever lived. This is not an accusation about you or about me. It is our reality. Sin is a problem for us. Sin is, the, is, is just simply missing the mark or to fall short of the standard. And that's what the law provides for us is the standard. Sin is the cause of all that God has had to do. You know, we've talked about this redemptive process that God's had us on. And sin was the reason for the need for that redemptive process. Mankind sins because we believe the lie that doing the opposite of what God has told us to do will make us happier or bring more joy in our lives. If we go back to the garden, Adam and Eve chose to sin because they believed the lie that it would make them more happy than they already were being in the relationship that God had created them to be in. But let's bring that in today's terms. You ever try to strap a toddler into a car seat when they're convinced they want to do it themselves? Or perhaps you've tried to pour them juice and they have a meltdown because they wanted to pour it themselves? We know how that's going to turn out, right? With juice all over everything and us cleaning up a mess. But often we're the toddler, right? God has given us direction for our life. He's told us what he wants for us to do because he loves us. For the same reason you're doing those things for the toddler. But we act like the toddler and say, I want to do it myself. That's the problem that we've been talking about. Mankind's rebellion hasn't, think about this, it's not weakened. Mankind's rebellion has not weakened nor has the effects of sin waned. Our rebellion is just as strong today as it's ever been. And the effects of sin are just as strong today as they've ever been. As we've heard before, the law was not given to get rid of sin, but to remind the people of their need for something greater than just the law. In the same way that the law can't perfect us, the blood of animals cannot purify us. That's the point that the author is trying to make. He's bringing us back this idea of sacrifice back to the forefront of our minds in these first four verses. Look at them with me again. Since the law has only a shadow of good things to come and not the reality itself of those things. The law is just a shadow. It's not the reality. It's to show us the reality. It can never perfect the worshipers by the same sacrifices they continually offer year over year. Otherwise, they would have stopped. Right? Did you pick up on that? If the law was able to be completed by the sacrifices of bulls or other animals, there would be no need to do it more than once. He says, since the worshippers purified once for all would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in the sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year after year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Listen, sacrifices were never intended to, to take away or to deal with sin. Their purpose was for us to see the sin, to show us that we were not God, that we are not perfect. While we don't do animal sacrifices anymore, there is something that we do that's in the same vein as that, with the same purpose. We try to please God not with the blood of sacrificed animals, but with our good works. Our attempts at goodness are our modern day sacrifices. And I want us to hear that today. Our attempts at goodness, our attempts to do something for God are just like the sacrifices. We cannot be perfect or good, and the law proves this over and over again. And when our goal is to be better or to get right, we've already lost. 
because we've missed the whole point. Look at Romans chapter 3 with me, verses 19 through 20. Paul says this, Obviously, the law applies to those to whom it was given. For its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. So we're all clear. The entire world is guilty before God. For no one can ever be made right with God, listen to this, by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. So this idea of I've got to get myself right or I have to be good enough to get in God's graces is completely false. Paul says it right there. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. The law's only purpose is to reveal sin. That is literally all that it can do. And when we focus on good works in order to gain God's approval, we are turning away from His plan. There's no hope found living outside of God's redemptive plan that is in Jesus. And when we try to please God by the way that we act, the things that we do, we are going outside of God's redemptive plan. We're all sinners and there's only one solution. And the solution does not include us trying harder to be better people. Point number two is that the problem of sin has been fixed by Jesus. And I want you to note how I phrase that. It has been fixed. It didn't say that it was partially fixed. It doesn't mean that it's at 99% and you've got to take that extra 1% to get it over the hill. The life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the law. Look at what it says in Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. It says, but now God has shown us the way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. Paying attention? As was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in His grace, freely makes us right in His sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when He freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sins. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed His life, shedding His blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when He held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what we would, he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness. For he himself is fair and just and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. So how are we made right with God? He says it several times in there. We are only made right by believing in Jesus. It is our faith. There's no fine print, there's no sub-clause that we need to go read that adds anything to that. This is literally the only way to be made right with God. I want you to think about that for a moment. I want you to think about the time that you have wasted in your life trying to do things to make God happy with you when it's been right here all along. That there's nothing that we can do that will make God any happier than He already is with you right now. The enemy would have us believe that trying harder will bring us closer. But we need to understand that not only can we not do it on our own, but when we step outside of God's plan and try to do it ourselves, we are moving farther away from God and not closer to Him. 
Do you see how twisted that is? We've convinced ourselves, we have taught people that if you will try to be a better person, that will move you closer to God. That's what the enemy has taught us. But what Scripture is telling us is that when we try to do that, we are moving away from God and not closer to Him. There are no participation trophies or most improved awards in the kingdom of God. They don't do you any good in terms of your relationship with Him. They make you feel good at the moment, but that good feeling will pass quickly. And now we're left not only feeling empty, but we're also tired because we did a lot of stuff. You can try as hard as you want, but you cannot please God by continuing to live in rebellion. And when our goal and our focus is try to be better people for God, we are still living in rebellion because we are going outside of God's plan for us. To try to please Him with your works, you are rebelling against His holy plan. You're in fact, you're saying that you know better than God about how to be in a relationship with Him. Look what it says in Romans chapter 7, verses 7 through 13. He says, well then, am I suggesting that the law of God is sinful? Of course not. In fact, it was the law that showed me my sin. I would have never known what coveting, that coveting is wrong if the law did not say you must not covet. But sin used this command to arouse all kinds of covetous desires within me. If there were no law, sin would ha not have that power. At one time, I lived without understanding the law. But when I learned the command not to covet, for instance, the power of sin came to my life and I died. So I discovered that the law's commands, which were supposed to bring life, brought spiritual death instead. Sin took advantage of those commands and deceived me. It used the commands to kill me. But still the law itself is holy and its commands are holy and right and good. But how can that be? Did the law, which is good, cause me death? Of course not. Sin used what was good to bring about my condemnation to death. So we can see how terrible sin really is. It uses God's good commands for its own evil purposes. So the law is good and it is holy, but sin has twisted it in us. It has put the focus in the wrong place. We've talked a lot about the effect that sin has on the world and the brokenness that we experience because of it. And sin has affected everything. And the last thing that we need to do is make it worse. Because when we're trying to just be good people to please God, we're moving further into rebellion and we're causing the problem to be bigger than it already was. God isn't looking for us to figure this out on our own. He's already told us how to fix it. Look with me back at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 5 through 8. He says, Therefore, as he was coming into the world, he said, You do not desire sacrifice and offering, but you prepared a body for me. You did not delight in whole burnt offerings and sin offerings. Then I said, See, it is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, God. And as he says above, You did not desire or delight in sacrifices and offerings whole barn offerings and sin offerings, which were offered according to the law. He repeats that twice because he wants to get the point across to the church that God's delight is not in offerings and sacrifices. The author is quoting David in the Psalms, and David is referring to when God rejects Saul as the king of Israel. We, we talked about this briefly last week, but it's found, this story is found in 1 Samuel chapter 15. And he references this to remind us all that, that God is telling Saul something very specific to go and defeat uh, the Amalekites and destroy all the people and the animal in the lands. 
So Saul doesn't do that. He kills all the people except their king, and his men sort through all the animals and keep the ones that they think are best, but that's not what God told them to do. Look at, they, I want to point out, they added to God's command, and that's the problem. Look at this with me. We're going to start in chapter uh, or 15, verse 10, and go through 23. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret I made Saul king, for he has turned away from me, following me, and has not carried out my instructions. So Samuel became angry and cried out to the Lord all night. Early in the morning, Samuel got up to confront Saul, but it was reported to Samuel. Saul went to Carmel, where he set up a monument for himself. Then he turned around and went down to Gilgal. And when Samuel came to see him, Saul said, May the Lord bless you. I have carried out all of the Lord's instructions. Samuel replied, Then what is that sound of sheep, goats, and cattle that I hear? Saul answered, oh, the, the, the troops brought them from the Amalekites and, and spared the best sheep and goats and cattle in order to offer a sacrifice to the Lord, but the rest we destroyed, right? Stop, exclaimed Samuel. Have you ever had a kid that's just lying and you just got, just, just stop. That's what Samuel, that's what he's feeling right in that moment. Just, just stop. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, he replied. Samuel continued, Although you once considered yourself unimportant, haven't you become the leader of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and then he sent you on a mission and said, Go and completely destroy the sinful Amalekites. Fight against them until you have annihilated them. So why didn't you obey the Lord? Why did you rush on the plunder and do what was evil in the Lord's sight? But I did obey the Lord, Saul answered. I went on the mission the Lord gave me. I brought back the king Agag of Amalek, and I completely destroyed all the Malachites. The troops took the sheep, goats, and cattle for the plunder, the best of what was set apart for destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord in Gilgal. Then Samuel said, Does the Lord take pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? Look, to obey is better than sacrifice. To pay attention is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and defiance is like the wickedness and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Saul just straight up didn't do what God told him to do. God told him what to do, but Saul did what he wanted to do instead. And I wish that Samuel would even address the fact that before Saul went to Gilgal like he was told to do, he went to Carmel and set up a monument to who? To himself. When confronted, Saul blames it on his troops and then he claims that they did it as a sacrifice for God. Saul believed that adding to what God said would make their victory better and that it would be more pleasing to God. Even if it was his intent to sacrifice those animals, he still added to what God said. Saul's actions didn't please God. They did what? They moved him further away from God. Look, it's easy to judge others, but we're, we're all guilty of almost doing what God says or doing what he says and then adding some to it. And then when we're confronted, it's everybody else's fault, not our own. I did what God said to do and, and some other things, right? For as long as the church, for a long time, the church has taught people that we had to fix ourselves in order to be pleasing and acceptable to God. I've heard those messages. I've probably taught, no, I have taught some of those messages. 
that we need to, to work better, to be better, so that God will love us more. And it's just not true. I want to point out what Paul says in verse 22 of Romans chapter 3. We read this just a minute ago, but I wanted to put some special emphasis on it today. He says, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. No matter who we are. That means that we are made right with God no matter what sin is in our lives, past, present, or future. Everyone who believes, no matter who we are. Every person that's ever lived has sinned. And many have sinned more than you have. But God loves us in spite of our sin, and we need to understand that. Because of the lie that we've chosen to believe, or the lie that we've been taught, is that God can't love us the way we are right now, and so we've got to get better so that he will. And it's not true. So what are we supposed to do? What's God want from us? Look at verses 9 and 10 in Hebrews chapter 10. He then says, see, I've come to do your will. He takes away the first to establish the second. He's talking about the covenants there. By this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ Jesus once and for all time. To clarify what we're reading there, Jesus is saying that he has come to do God's will. Jesus has come to fix the brokenness. He's come to deal with the problem of sin. He's come to do what we could not do to fulfill the law living in complete obedience to God. And I think it's worth pointing out that Jesus didn't come focused on the law and making sure he did it correctly. What was his focus? Obeying the Father. And through his obedience, he fulfilled the law. Do you see where his focus was? It wasn't on the law. It was on obedience. But because he was obedient, he fulfilled the law. He filled it by his obedience. Last week we looked at Jesus cleansing the temple, or two weeks ago now, and not long after that, Jesus begins interacting with people and speaking about who he is and what God sent him to do. Then he has this interaction with Nicodemus. You know the wee little man in a tree? You remember that story? Okay. He has this interaction with Nicodemus. Zacchaeus? I, that is Zacchaeus. Thank y'all. Well, anyway, he talked to Nicodemus. That was a different guy. All right. He's talking, yeah, Nicodemus. He's talking about the idea of being born again. And Nicodemus is like, wait, what? You got to enter the womb, come out a second time? How does that work? I'm going to need some details. Okay, then he has this famous conversation we talk about all the time with the woman at the well. And the disciples return as the woman, of the well, woman at the well is leaving. And all they can think about their, is their bellies. Y'all remember that story? They went to go get some food and they came back and Jesus was talking to this lady and she left. And they're like, all right, Jesus, let's eat, right? And, and I'll be the first to, to admit that um, I can get hangry. I don't know if y'all have ever experienced that before or someone you love maybe has gotten hangry before. Saw some finger getting pointed in here, okay? But I, that's, I, I have a feeling that's kind of where the disciples are. Like, Jesus, we just went to get some food. It's time to eat. Let's eat, okay? But, but here's, here's what I want to point out. They keep urging Jesus to eat. And if you look at the text and think about the timeline of all those events I just described, it's clear that Jesus knows what's coming, and he's far more concerned about the work that God's doing in the moment than he is for his physical needs. He knows that the woman that he just talked to is in town sharing with people what she just experienced with this guy, Jesus. And that before long, the whole town's coming out, right? Remember that in the story? The whole town comes out to hear that same message that she just heard. She's sharing her story, and it's drawing people to want to know Jesus. 
Why bring this up? Why, what does this have to do with everything else that we've talked about today? Look at Jesus' response and consider our passage in Hebrews. In John chapter 4, verse 34, in response to the disciples that are urging him to eat, he says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work, Jesus told them. This is, just, this is such a telling moment about the person of Jesus. Jesus sees the work that God is doing in his people and joining God in that work is more important than anything else to him. To walk in obedience is more important. And our struggle with sin and brokenness, we fall short when it comes to prioritizing the work of God over everything else that we want to do. Jesus was able to do what we can. In that moment where I would be experiencing hangriness, Jesus can put that aside because he knows that God's at work and he's being obedient to what, called it, what God's called him to do. We need to see the beauty and the freedom that we've been given. Because here's, here's where the enemy's going to try to get in this, right? I just spent this whole time talking about we, we don't have to do anything to be accepted by God. And now I'm saying, you're saying I got to listen to God and do what he says. Well, how's that work? I'm going to explain to you how it works. When we are trying to be better people, we are doing what we think will make us better. And what Scripture is telling us, what the author of Hebrews and what Jesus is telling us, is that by living in obedience to God, by doing what He says, that's what's going to bring about that relationship getting closer instead of further away. We need to see the beauty and the freedom that we've given. We can stop trying to do stuff to please God. God doesn't want our meager attempts or our very best. He isn't interested in what we can do for Him. God's desire is for us to know Him, to abide in Him, and to do what He says. Church, we don't have to try to impress God. And we don't have to try to impress anybody in this room or anybody else that we know by the things that we do. We've been freed from death that is brought about by sin and now live in the freedom of Christ's righteousness. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, the last, pa- last verse, verse 10. He says, by this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. All that needed to be done has been done once. And there's nothing else that we need to, to do to bring about righteousness for ourselves. The problem of sin has been fixed by Jesus. He is our priest forever and the sacrifice that was required for the forgiveness of our sins. This aspect of our faith has been spoken about since Jesus rose, but for some reason we're still convinced that we have to add our good works to it. And that's what I want us to kill today, is that idea. That we don't have to do anything to be pleasing to God. This message that Jesus has done it all needs to be internalized here. We've got to get it from here and just be in theology and get it into our hearts and let it affect the way we approach Him. Let it affect the way that we live our lives. And as we internalize that fact that Jesus is our goodness and our righteousness, it's going to change our relationship with God. That's the beauty of this whole thing. Is once we can get that theology from our head to our heart, it changes how we view everything. Your sin is no longer the focus of the relationship, right? Because right now, if you're worried about being a good person, your focus is all on your sin and trying not to sin. But when we can internalize that, we can get it from our head to our heart, our focus is no longer on the sin, but on God. And as we walk in obedience to Him, we fulfill the law, not because we were trying to, 
but because Jesus did it through us, through the power of the Holy Spirit. When this woman at the well experiences the freedom of Jesus' grace, she can't help but tell everybody. We've talked about that before. She goes into town and she says, come see this man who's told me everything I've ever done. And you think about that for yourself. And if Jesus is standing here and he told you everything you ever did, that might not be something you want to tell everybody about, right? However, think about the freedom that comes from that. Your whole life, if you're anything like me, you've probably been trying to hide parts of your life from God because you felt like they were sinful or something you didn't want God to see. And what Jesus is explaining to this woman at the well and he wants us to understand is he already sees that. He knows it's there. We're not hiding anything. And guess what? He loves you anyway. In spite of that sin, whatever you've done in your past, whatever you, whatever you did today on the way to church, it doesn't matter. It doesn't impede your relationship with God because when He looks at you, He sees the blood of Christ. He sees Christ's righteousness. Not yours. His. Church, this is a story that's worth sharing. There's so many in bondage to sin and to the law. And freedom is right here. We find it in Hebrews chapter 10. We find it in Romans chapter 3. The whole book of Romans. Just go read the book of Romans. That's what it's all about. Is that Jesus has done it. Freedom is found in Christ, not in trying harder. Freedom is found in abiding. Hearing what God says. Choosing to walk in obedience, to do what He says. Seeing God for who He is and falling deeper in love with Him. It's the same message we've been hearing over and over and over again. Is to just abide in Christ. All that needed to be done was done. So we can stop trying to do it all over again. It's not necessary. Enjoy the relationship that God has given you by listening to what He says. Walk in obedience just like Jesus did. And experience the freedom that comes from not having to try to feel like you've got to be somebody all the time. God loves His people. He loves you, and He wants you to know that. We can't buy that love with our good works. We can't earn it, and so there's no need to try. He already loves us. So let's get that this week from our head to our heart. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to do that work in our lives. And as that happens, our focus is going to become on God, not on our sin, and we're not going to be able to help but tell people about it. And they're going to get to hear that story too. Let's pray together. God, sometimes it's really, really hard for us to, to let go. To give up on what we've spent our whole life trying to accomplish. Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit, right now, in this moment, wherever we are, whatever we're feeling, whatever's going on in our head, whatever happened this morning or last week or a year ago, God, whatever it is that we feel like is keeping us away from you, Father, I ask that you would eliminate that from our minds. That your Holy Spirit would do a work in us this morning that would allow us to see that we don't have to try anymore. We're already accepted. Father, as we worship this morning, I ask that we would experience your freedom and that we would, we would experience it in such a way that we would um, have a desire to share it with other people, that it would be automatic, that it wouldn't be forced. God, show us this morning the truth of what you've already done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and stand. Let's worship together.